This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days, where we feature the best of old-time radio for your listening enjoyment. We started off the year saying we would bring music, comedy, and adventure. Well, music and comedy is out, and we're back to what works. Adventure, detective, lawman, and suspense. Your old favorites will be regulars. Dragnet, Gunsmoke, Dangerous Assignment, Suspense, Johnny Dollar, Texas Rangers. You get my drift. The good stuff. Thanks for being with us and staying with us, and tell a friend, and enjoy those old radio commercials along the way. And now, our show. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Yeah, danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though, trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to involve my trying to hold an Eastern European country together with my finger ring. Morning, Commissioner. Ruth said you had an assignment for me. I do, Steve. Well, where do I go this time? To jail. Let's have that again. You heard me. I'm sending you to jail. Now, look, so maybe I did pad my expense account a little last month, but that isn't enough reason. Seriously, Steve, there's someone in jail I want you to talk to, a woman. Oh, well, you're sounding better by the moment. I'm afraid you don't get the point. Okay, what is the point? The point is on the end of the Krona Cutlass, and it's a sharp one. Look, jail, sword points, I think you better start at the beginning, Commissioner. Take a look at this map, Steve. See this little country in Eastern Europe? What about it? Politically, it's on the fence right now. And as you know, that country has had a history of violence stretching back hundreds of years. Wait a minute. The Kroner Cutlass, isn't that regarded as a sort of symbol of unity in that country? Whoever has had it in his possession has always been able to rally the country behind him, yes. The Kroner Cutlass has been a symbol of unity, or rather was. What do you mean, was? Just before the end of the war, the Kroner Cutlass was given to a U.S. Army lieutenant for safekeeping by one of their national leaders. 
Shortly after that, the lieutenant was reported missing in action. And neither he nor the sword has ever been located. I still don't see what all of this has to do with my talking to a lady in jail, Commissioner. That lady is the missing Army lieutenant's wife. This morning, the police got an anonymous tip that she had in her possession a jewel from the handle of the Krona Cutlass. What? That's right, Steve. They picked her up and brought her in. The jewel was in her purse. You trying to tell me that the Army lieutenant's really alive and has been sending jewels from the sword back home one at a time for his wife to sell? I'm only giving you what facts we have at this time, Steve. But I think there's a lot more to it than appears on the surface. Oh, for instance, maybe this whole thing's a frame, huh? I think it is. But thinking it and proving it are two different things. Naturally, that country is clamoring for the return of that sword. Well, we've got to find it before we can return it. Right. And I think you know there are interests in that country who would prefer that the sword not be returned, or if it is, that they're the ones who return it. Yeah, that figures all right. The most important newspaper over there is hooked up with these same interests, Steve. The story of this woman's arrest has already leaked out, and they're making capital of it. That's why we've got to act fast. Now, Steve, get down to the jail. Talk to the lieutenant's wife and get her story. Then go anywhere and do anything you have to to find that sword and deliver it to the proper officials. Well, I said, you've got your assignment. Good luck. The National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment. Starring Brian Donlevy in the role of Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you'll find Steve Mitchell on another dangerous assignment. Sure, I've got my assignment. Just a simple matter of trying to locate an old beat-up sword, but... The difference is that this particular sword could determine the fate of an entire nation. And I know that somewhere along the line, I'm sure to tangle with an outfit who'll be trying their best to give me that sword. Right in the neck. So, I mosey down to the jail and talk to the Army Lieutenant's wife, Mrs. Rogers. I'm glad you came, Mr. Mitchell. Maybe you'll believe me. Nobody else around here seems to. Well, suppose you start from the beginning, Mrs. Rogers. All right. Five years ago, my husband was reported missing in action. I was convinced that he'd been killed. I still am. Go on. In the last letter I received from him, he mentioned something about having a valuable sword in his possession. The the Kroner something or other. Kroner Cutlass. Yes. He said that it had been entrusted to him so that it wouldn't be captured by the enemy. That was the only thing he said about it. And I never heard from my husband again. Then how do you account for having one of the jewels from that sword in your possession? This morning a man came to my door... He handed me a small box and said it was for my husband. Before I could recover from the shock, he'd gone. In that box was a jewel. I see. I didn't know what to do. Finally, I decided to go to the police. But on the way here, I was arrested. I guess they didn't believe I was coming here to give it to them. Later, they told me that that jewel had come from the handle of the sword. Yeah. You believe me, don't you? I'd like to. You say a man came to your door and handed you that jewel this morning. Had you ever seen him before? No, never. Can you describe him? Well, he was short and dark. That's about all I remember. (laughs) That's not much to go on. Can't you remember anything else about him? I'm afraid not. Wait. His clothing. What about it? He was wearing a peacoat and dungarees. Hmm. Could have been a sailor. Well, that's still not very much to go on, but I guess I'll have to do with it. Thanks for the information, Mrs. Rogers. I'll see what I can find out. 
I don't know whether Mrs. Rogers is telling me the truth or not, but there's only one way to find out, so I start checking. Then, 23 cab drivers later, I find one who remembers picking up a sailor from Mrs. Rogers' address and taking him to the waterfront just in time to catch a freighter that was pulling out the Golden Star. I check further and find that the Golden Star is now en route to Liverpool, England, so I fly to England. And I'm waiting on the dock in Liverpool when the Golden Star pulls in. Pity some people can't learn to stay at home and mind their own business. What? Look, I... Oh, well, my old friend, Inspector Barrett. <laughs> Hello, Mitchell. How's Scotland Yard these days? Still doing business at the same address, thank you. What are you doing here in Liverpool? No, just dropped down to see what you were doing here. Last time you came over, as I remember, you were looking for a microfilm. Yeah, this time it's a sword. My, my. You should have quite a collection of trophies when you finally round out your illustrious career. The... Uh, Anything I can do to give you a hand, old boy? Thanks, but I doubt it. Unless you want to stand here and watch every seaman who comes off that freighter that's just docking. All I know is that the one I'm after is short and dark, which is going to make it pretty tough. Oh, not really tough at all, Mitchell. Here. What's this? Just a photograph of the man you're after, old boy. Huh? Hey, how did you get this? <laughs> Quite simple, really. Your commissioner told us you were coming and why. The Golden Star is a British freighter. So we sent a wireless to the skipper, asking for the name of the seaman who almost missed the ship in the States. He sent us the name, and we nosed around in the hiring hall files and got this picture. A chap named Perkins. Well, really nothing to it. Oh, well, I got a hunch it wasn't quite as simple as you're making it sound, but thanks anyway. I, hey, look, coming down the gangplank. Righto, Perkins himself. And he looks to be in a bit of a hurry. Want to nab him? No, not yet. I'm more interested in seeing where he goes and whom he reports to. Let's tag along after him and find out. We follow Perkins off the pier. He grabs a cab and starts taking side streets, obviously trying to shake off anyone who might be tailing him, but Barrett and I stick. Finally, Perkins' cab pulls up in front of the railroad depot and he disappears inside. We jump out and follow him, but when we get inside, Perkins is nowhere in sight. Well, quite a disappearing act the lad pulled him as Mitchell. He's got to be around here somewhere, Barrett. Yes, but where? He may try to get on that train that's pulling in. He'd have to be pretty speedy to do that. That's a through train. Doesn't stop here. Oh. Hey, look, that crowd over on the platform. Yes, I got a glimpse of the lighter, too. Come on. Mitchell, he's trying to get through that crowd. Seems to be running from someone. Right into the path of the train. Feller got pushed. One side, please. One side. Let us through, please. One side. One side. Stand back. Hey, not a very pretty sight, is he? No. Looks like we were a bit too late. Well, come along. I say, Mitchell. Hmm? Oh, okay, okay. Praying over the blighter is all very well, but... Uh... I wasn't exactly praying, Barrett. Well... Well, I saw your lips moving and quite sure you weren't carrying on a conversation with him. No, I wasn't. But someone from a distance might think I was. I see. The chap who pushed Perkins, for instance. For instance? I say, aren't you sticking out the well-known Nick? If the killer thinks you have any information, he's liable to take a try at you. Well, that might give me a lead, and right now I'm fresh out. <laughs> Strikes me as a rather grim way of getting a lead. Well, where does all of this leave you now, Mitchell? Right in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Looks a little embarrassing for your government at this point, doesn't it? It sure does. 
A United States Army lieutenant gets a symbolic sword entrusted to him and disappears. Then a jewel from the sword turns up in his wife's possession. Not exactly conducive to good relations between our country and theirs, particularly when the leading newspaper of their country is hooked up with the interests which would like to take over. Yes, I imagine that paper is making quite an issue of the incident. You know, Perkins' murder just now convinces me more than ever that this whole deal is a frame. Perkins was probably hired to deliver that jewel to Mrs. Ford. Mm -hmm. He outlived his usefulness and was killed to shut his mouth. Nice theory, if you can prove it. Oh, incidentally, where is that jewel? In my pocket. What? I'm going to turn it over to the Royal Museum. That's where the sword used to be kept. I guess that's my next stop. When can I catch a plane across the channel? Weather's a bit thick for flying right now, Mitchell. Better take the channel boat. Okay. Well, thanks for everything, Barry. Right, yeah. Oh, it was really... Yeah, uh... I know. It was really nothing. <laughs> well, see you later, I hope. So I board the channel boat. It's dark and foggy, and as usual, the crossing is rough, and I stand out on deck at the rail, and pretty soon a sad-looking little gent is standing beside me. Oh! A little hard on stomach, oh. huh? Oh, 15 times I crossed this channel. 14 times I am seasick. What happened the 15th time? I fly across. Oh, better that way, huh? No, that time I got air sick. He wanders down the deck and disappears into the mist. I stand there a few minutes more. Then suddenly I hear a little noise behind me and I start to turn. Then I hear someone running at me. I drop to one knee. A knife flashes down at me. I grab a wrist and heave. He goes flying. <laughs> I don't even get a look at the knife artist. My hunch is that it was seasick Sam, but at this point it doesn't matter, except that having missed me once, they'll probably try again. I get to Paris and take a plane east to the country that the sword belongs to, and I head for the Royal Museum and the curator's office. Good morning. What can I do for you? Well, hello. I was expecting to find someone with a long gray beard. This is quite an improvement. <laughs> Thank you, but I'm not the curator. Dr. Marzak is. I'm his assistant, Anna. Anna, Steve Mitchell from the United States. Oh, yes, Mr. Mitchell. We have been expecting you. I'm supposed to turn over the jewel from the Kroner Cutlass to the curator. I know. A very unfortunate incident, isn't it? It sure is. Mr. Mitchell, I'm convinced that this is a deliberate plot on the part of those interests which would like to create a rift between our two countries. Well, it's good to hear someone else say that, Anna. Uh, Dr. Marzak is quite anxious to talk to you, but he's busy right now. If you care to wander around the museum and look at the exhibits, I will call you when he's free. So I nose around the museum. It's a typical collection. A few fig leaf characters, a bunch of spears and crossbows on the walls, and a plaster statue of a general on horseback holding a sword in the air. One of our heroes, Mr. Mitchell. Hmm? Oh, I didn't hear you come up. His name is General Krupper. He lived uh, two centuries ago, and he was as devoted to our country as I am. Oh, well, speaking of names, what's yours? I am Gabor, the editor of the newspaper here. Oh, yeah, I've uh, heard of your paper, Gabor. And let me assure you I have heard of you, Mr. Steve Mitchell from the United States. Hmm, you seem to. So your newspaper is devoted to the welfare of this country, huh? Completely. Sure, sure. 
And has your interventionist government sent you over here in a feeble attempt to explain away this defamation of our national symbol, the Kroner Cutlass? You know, I'll bet you took those words right out of one of your editorials. The fact remains that your noble army lieutenants feel so little respect for our country that they steal our symbol and sell the jewels from it. Look, Gabor, according to our information, the army lieutenant to whom that sword was entrusted was killed in action several years ago. Obviously, he's alive and in hiding. You could have easily falsified the records. Oh, sure. Tell me, is there by any chance an election coming up in this country soon? That has nothing to do with it. Oh, of course not. I was just asking. Do not attempt to cloud the issue. The very fact that you have in your possession a jewel taken from the Kroner Cutlass is proof of our suspicions. Yeah. I must admit it does look sort of bad for us. <laughs> you pretend to be unconcerned, yet I see you wringing your hands with nervousness. But you have indeed a good cause to be nervous. You're so right, Gabor. Uh, Mr. Mitchell, Dr. Marzak will see you now. Thanks, Anna. Well, see you around, Gabor. If you will, Mr. Mitchell, I intend to give your visit here the widest publicity. I'm sure of it. Uh, right in here, Mr. Mitchell. Ah, Mr. Mitchell. Dr. Marzak? I am happy to make your acquaintance. Although I wish these circumstances were more pleasant, uh... Sit down. Thanks. Dr. Marzak agrees with us, Mr. Mitchell, that this could be a plot. That is what I would like to think, Anna. But we cannot close our eyes to facts. I know. And here is fact number one. The jewel from the Krona Cutlass. Oh, oh, wait. What's the matter, huh? Let me see that jewel. Mr. Mitchell, this is the jewel you brought with you from the United States. It sure is. Why? This is just a piece of cheap onyx. What? Oh, no. It's true, Dr. Mazak. See for yourself. This jewel was not taken from the Krona Cutlass. You are listening to Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Are you sure this stone didn't come from the Kroner Cutlass? Of course I'm sure. Let me see it, Anna. Oh, here you are, Dr. Marzak. Uh, why, Anna is right, Mr. Mitchell. Hmm. Well, my theory is that this deal is a frame, but I hardly think the interest behind it would be stupid enough to give us a phony jewel. Wait a minute. Uh, where are you going? I've got a little errand to do, Dr. Marzak. I'll check with you two later. Ah, Mr. Mitchell. Hello, gay boy. Good thing you're still hanging around. What do you mean? Go on into Dr. Marzak's office. I'll bet he's got an interesting story for you. Oh, thank you. I'm certain he has. As a matter of fact, I have that story all set up in print and ready to run. Don't count on it. Gabor disappears into Marzak's office, looking like a cat after a seven-course dinner. I get over behind the statue of the sword-holding general on horseback because if my hunch is right, if Gabor and his outfit are behind this deal, he's going to come out of Marzak's office in a hurry, looking like a sick chicken. And two minutes later, he does. I follow him outside to a phone booth where he puts in a quick call. Then he heads for a little bar. (laughs) 
He downs three drinks in a hurry, looking more nervous by the moment. Ten minutes later, a fat gent comes in and waddles over to him. I slip the bartender a buck and learn that the fat guy's name is Kratz, the publisher of the paper that Gabor edits. I stroll over to them. Hello, Gabor. Oh, Mitchell. Ah, so this is Steve Mitchell from the United States. That's right, Mr. Kratz. You know my name. We all have our sources of information. You uh, publish Gabor's newspaper, don't you? Your information is quite accurate. And how is your mission coming, Mitchell? Imagine you're having great difficulty explaining this incident. Oh? You mean Gabor hasn't told you yet? Tell me what? Well, uh, as a matter of fact... <coughs> Tell me what? That jewel didn't come from the Kroner Cutlass. A very feeble joke, Mitchell. It's no joke. Ask Dr. Marzak or his assistant. They ought to know. You see, I... I was going to tell you I hadn't the time yet. You perhaps felt it was not important, Gabor. Uh, that, that is, this whole thing is a trick, Mr. Kratz. I, I'm sure of it. You don't sound very sure to me, Gabor. You know, without mentioning any names, it could go together something like this. Someone hires a merchant seaman to deliver a jewel from the Kroner Cutlass to a woman in the States. But the seaman pulls a double cross and switches jewels, keeping the real one. That uh, make any sense to you, Gabor? Uh, of course not. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, there could be some heads rolling for a deal like that. I tell you, this whole thing is a trick, Mr. Kratz. If you'll excuse us, Mr. Mitchell, I believe Gaber and I should have a little talk. But, Mr. Kratz... Sure, sure, go right ahead. See you later, gentlemen. Oh, Mr. Mitchell. Hello, Anna. Uh, Dr. Marzak began to think you were not coming back. He left a few minutes ago. I'm sorry, my errand took longer than I thought, but it was worth it. It's nice to have the pressure on somebody else for a change. I'm not sure I understand you. Oh, it doesn't matter. Would you like a ride home? Oh, well, yes, thank you very much. I'll be with you as soon as I finish soaking my hands. Work around these old relics is not conducive to a good manicure. Yeah, I can imagine. Here, your hands are all wet. I'll get the phone. Oh, never mind. No trouble. I... Hello. Hello? Hello. What's the matter? I don't know. Nobody answers. I'll take it. There you are. Hello? Hello? Oh, it was probably a wrong number. Oh, I wonder. What do you mean? I think I know where that call came from, Anna. I could hear a balalaika playing in the background. It could have been from the bar I just came from. There was a balalaika there, too. But who could be calling me from a bar? That's a good question. Well, come on. Uh, it's very thoughtful of you to take me home, Steve. Here, I'll turn out the lights. Dark out here in the main hall. Yes. Be careful not to bump into General Krupa's horse. <laughs> you think he might kick me? But if he did, it would be quite an event. <laughs> uh, turn to the right here. Okay. I guess you have every square foot of this place memorized, huh? Just about. Oh. What's the matter? Oh, I left my gloves in the office. It, it'll only take me a minute. Wait here. I stand there in the dark, waiting. Several minutes go by, and I'm just about to go back to the office to see what happened to Anna when I hear a faint creaking sound to one side of me. I hit the, hit the floor. Something plunks into the wall over my head. I get to my knees and start circling in the dark. But the room is empty except for a heavy crossbow lying on the floor. Oh, Steve. Steve. Over here, Anna. Oh, wait. I'll turn on the lights. There. Are you all right? As far as I know. What happened? Somebody took a pot shot at me with a crossbow. What? That surprise you? 
Oh, yes, sir, of course. What do you mean? You know, it took you a long time to find those gloves, Anna. What are you talking about? Long enough for you to have come back here in the dark and gotten that crossbow down off the wall. Steve, whatever put such a ridiculous idea into your head? Uh, let it go for the time being. Come on, let's go. This is my apartment just ahead, Steve. Okay. Ah, you still suspicious of me, Steve. I guess right now I'm a little suspicious of everything, Anna. Or perhaps if you were to come up and let me mix your drink, Steve, you might find out that your suspicions were completely unjustified. I might, but that. Okay, I... Oh, what is it? Uh, nothing. Look, I don't think I'll be able to make it, Anna. Oh, but I just Steve... remembered something I have to take care of right away. I I'll be seeing you. What's changed my mind is a glimpse of a figure standing across the street in the shadows. I get in my car and drive around the block and come back. The guy is gone. I look up at Anna's window and the lights are out. Suddenly, it hits me. I pound upstairs and down the hall to her door. There's a faint smell of gas. I start throwing my shoulder against the door. Windows are closed. The gas is on, full tilt, and Anna's lying on the bed. I turn off the gas and open the windows. Anna. Here, I'll get you over to the window. Don't try to talk until you get some fresh air in your lungs. There you are. That's better? Oh, yes. Yes, much. What happened? Oh, someone knocked on my door. And when I opened it, whoever it was hit me. I, I didn't get a chance to see who. That is all I remember. Hmm. Well, at least this... Attempt on your life sort of takes you off my suspicious list. But why would anyone want to kill me, Steve? I don't know, unless... Hey, wait a minute. Huh? Put it together this way. Only three people outside the enemy's camp know that the jewel is a phony. Huh? You, Dr. Marzak, and myself. Oh, so? So, first an attempt is made on my life, that crossbow gag at the museum. Then an attempt is made on your life huh? just now. Sort of looks like the opposition is trying to keep that jewel switch a secret, doesn't it? Oh, Steve, that means... That means they'll probably try next for the third name on the list, the oh. guy who has that phony jewel right now. Dr. Marzak. You know his home phone number? Oh, yes. I I'll call him right away. Hmm. Tell him to lock himself up in a hurry. These babies were up against believing moving fast. I know, they... Uh, hello? Uh, let me speak to Dr. Marzak, please. What? How long ago? Do you know where he went? Oh, I see. An appointment. Oh, thank you. Where is he? Well, according to the butler, Dr. Marzak had a 10 o'clock appointment at the museum. Who with? Someone who telephoned him earlier in the evening. The butler doesn't know who. Someone who phoned him? Yeah. Could be the same guy who called the museum when I answered the phone, and in my book, that adds up to Gabor. Steve, Gabor will try to kill Dr. Marzak. That looks that way. What time is it? Uh, Ten minutes to ten. That gives us just ten minutes to get there. Come on, let's go. You got a key to the front door of this joint, Anna? Yes, right here. Good. Haven't got any time to waste. I... Hey, who's that gent roosting in front of the door? I don't know. I've never seen him before. What do you want? Get out of the way. We want to see Dr. Marzak. The curator does not wish to be disturbed. Oh, who told you that? Dr. Marzak or Gabor? Get away from here before I... Sorry, Buster. Come on, Anna. Get this door open. Yes. They are probably in Dr. Marzak's office. 
I hope we're in time to prevent Gabor from killing him. So do I. Where's that turn in the hall? Uh, it's right here. Oh, yeah. Oh, look. There's a crack of light under Marzak's office door. There was a crack of light, you mean? The lights just went off. Oh, shall I turn them on out here? No, I don't want us to be silhouetted when I open that office door. Well, here we are. Now, get down. All right. Here goes. <laughs> a back door slam. I open it. A flight of stairs. I start up. Then I see a figure coming down at me. I drop to one knee and throw a shoulder into him. He goes flying. <laughs> it's Gabor. He hits the bottom and lies still. There's enough light to tell me that the stairs I'm on lead to a balcony which overlooks the main hall of the museum. I start up them again. Then a voice from above stops me. Who is it? Steve Mitchell. Where are you, Dr. Marzak? Above you, on the balcony. Are you okay? Yes. I'm quite all right. Thank you. One slug hits me in the shoulder and bounces me back against the wall. Now, at last, I know who the real leader of the opposition is, Dr. Marzak. I flatten myself against the wall and inch up the rest of the stairs. He's shooting blind, and if I've counted correctly, his gun is empty by now. I reach the balcony, then I see a glint of metal. He's coming at me with a battle axe. I duck just in time. Yeah. Axe cuts the air an inch above my head, and I let him have a left. Brother. Steve! Steve, are you okay? Yeah. He just winged me. You can turn the lights on now. All right. Oh, Steve, look. Yeah. That statue of General Krupa. Marzak must have fallen right on top of the sword in the general's hand. Oh. His weight broke the sword off and he fell to the floor. Oh. Not a very pretty sight, is it? Oh, no. Steve, wait. What's the matter? That sword. That is the Kroner Cutlass. What? Yes. There was a coat of plaster over it, but some of it cracked away. It is the Kroner Cutlass. Well, how about that? Marzak must have had it hidden right here all the time in the general's hand. Well, I've got to hand it to him. He couldn't have picked a better hiding place. But why, Steve? Oh, it's pretty simple. Marzak and his outfit probably figured that after thoroughly discrediting my country with that stolen jewel gag, they'd produce the sword along about election time and win enough votes with it. But I don't understand why Marzak was stupid enough to use an imitation jewel. He wasn't. What do you mean? Here's the real jewel from the Kroner Cutlass, Anna. Oh. I've had it right here in my pocket all along. But that jewel you showed us... That one I pried out of my fingering. You see... When I was talking to Gabor outside Marzak's office, I realized he was counting pretty heavily on the fact that the jewel I had came from the sword. So I figured it might put the pressure on him a little if I substituted a phony stone. <laughs> it did. Well, I hope Dr. Marzak realized before he fell on the sword that his treacherous plans did not succeed. Oh, I'm sure he did, Anna. Matter of fact, you might say that Dr. Marzak finally got the point. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, was written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo, with music by Robert Armbruster, and was produced and directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this same time when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Dangerous Assignment came to you from Hollywood's Radio City. Enjoy The Man Called X next, and later it's Dennis Day on NBC. This 
episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Danger is my assignment. I get sent to a lot of places I can't even pronounce. They all spell the same thing, though. Trouble. But when I walk into the commissioner's office, I don't realize this assignment's going to end up with a guy I'm looking for shoving a gun in my back and me doing my best to help him. Morning, Commissioner. Ruth said you had an assignment for me. I do, Steve. Well, where do I go this time? I'm not sure. You're not... (laughs) <laughs> Let's have that again. You heard me. I'm not sure. Okay, okay. So what do I do when I get there? I don't know. Now, wait a minute. You're not sure where I'm going. You don't know what I'm supposed to do when I get there. Well, okay. If you want to play 20 questions, is it animal, vegetable, or mineral? Mineral. And I'll save you the other 19 questions by telling you it's a buzz bomb. Buzz bomb? Steve, I'm sure you remember how proficient the Nazis were in the last war with buzz bombs. Yeah. As I remember, they sure remodeled the London skyline with them. That's right. Perhaps you also remember that we had strong indications that the Nazis had a complete set of plans for a new buzz bomb. One which apparently is equal or superior to the guided missiles we're working on right now. Those plans disappeared, and we've had no line on them whatsoever up until last night. What happened last night? For some time, one of our agents in Berlin has been on the trail of a man he was convinced was involved. Last night, in an alley, he finally found the man with a knife in his back. So now we don't have any more line on it than before. I wouldn't say that. You see, the dying man lasted long enough to admit that he and a friend of his had stolen the plans around the time of the fall of Berlin. Did he say who his friend was? A man named Frelich, who brought them to this country right afterward. Their scheme was to sell to the highest bidder, but the dying man hadn't heard from Frelich since he came to the States five years ago. Five years ago? Well, why hasn't Frelich tried to peddle the plans before now, then? We don't know. That's what I want you to find out after you find Froelich. And Steve, remember that whoever killed Froelich's partner in Berlin knows as much about it as we do. That means from now on, it's going to be a race. Every minute counts double. Get on it, Steve. Locate Froelich wherever he is. And above all, bring back the data on that buzz bomb. Yeah, that's it. You've got your assignment. Good luck. National Broadcasting Company is presenting Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, colorful, two-fisted government agent. At all those places of the world where danger and intrigue walk hand in hand, there you'll find Steve Mitchell on another Dangerous Assignment. Sure, I've got my assignment. 
Just a simple matter of locating a guy named Frelick who came to this country almost five years ago and getting some buzz bomb plans away from him. On the surface, it sounds just dandy, but there are a couple of little things that occur to me real quick. In the first place, Frelick obviously doesn't want to be found. And in the second place, there's already been one murder committed over those plans. That means I've got to try to prevent the second one, namely my own. I head for the immigration office and start checking their files. Five hours later, I find a record of Frelick docking at New York, May 13th, 1946. I head for New York to follow it up. The local office digs out the file for me, and I find that Frelick listed as his next of kin a cousin named Julius Sachs in the Bronx. I copy down the address and go over. Yeah? Julius Sachs? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what happened to you? Your face looks like you'd tangled with a meat grinder. What a fair set of yours. Who are you? Hey, you better take a look at my credentials. <clears throat> I see. Come in, please. Now then, what can I do for you, Mr. Mitchell? I'd like to talk to your cousin. My cousin? Yeah, Frelick. But I'm afraid you're much too late for that. You mean he skipped town? No, I mean Frelick has been dead for almost five years. What? Yeah. He was killed in a traffic accident the day after his boat docked from Europe. Oh, great. There goes my one lead. Uh-huh. Oh, skip it. Look, uh, did Frelick ever mention anything to you about any valuable papers he had? No. You know, it's strange that you two should ask this question. What do you mean, me too? You observe the condition of my face. Well, last night I was almost beaten to death. My cries for help drove my attacker away and saved my life. Who was he? I do not know. I've never seen him before. A man with bulging eyes. He kept asking me strange questions about Frehley's papers. Questions which I was unable to answer. Brother, they're sure not losing any time. Hey, look, Frelick must have brought some luggage with him. Yeah, a trunk. I kept it in the attic for some time. You still have it? No. Last month, I cleaned out the attic. When I came to the trunk, I realized I'd misplaced the key. So I sold the trunk. To whom? To a junk dealer. Uh, oh, fine. Great chance I'll have of finding it now. But, hmm. uh, but uh, what could be so valuable about Furley's trunk? It was empty. And... You sure about that? Of course. Furley unpacked all of his clothes as soon as he arrived. What did you do with his clothes after he was killed? Oh, I gave them away. Uh, well, that settles that. Of course, those papers would be too bulky to hide them in clothing anyway. What papers are these that everybody is suddenly so interested in? Oh, skip it. Look, Julius... Do you remember which junk dealer you sold the trunk to? Oh, yeah. I copy his address down if you like. I like. Uh, remember what the trunk looked like? Well, let me see. Uh, oh, it had a rounded top, as I remember, and uh, brass bands. Uh, not much to go on, but I'll give it a whirl. Mr. Mitchell, I still do not understand why this trunk is so important to you. Maybe it isn't, Julius, but I won't know until I find it. But this junk dealer, he's undoubtedly sold the trunk by now. And to find one trunk in a city as large as New York... Yeah, well... yeah, I know, Julius. If I ever bet with odds that heavy against me at the racetrack, I'd be on relief. Trunks, trunks. Have I got trunks, he asks. Mister, does a fish have scales? <laughs> Come with me. Huh? Hey, where are we going? To the back room here. You're going to see trunks. Yeah. Oh, no. At least 50 of them. <laughs> 52, friend. Yeah, take your pick. Two bucks each. Three bucks with keys. Look, the one I'm interested in, you bought about a month ago from a guy named Julius Sachs. You happen to remember it? Uh, mister, 
In my business, is not the names that count. It's the merchandise. Sack, schmacks. Well, hey. this merchandise had a rounded cover and brass bands. Oh, an old baby, huh? Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I, I get a lot like it with it. Hey, wait a minute. You remember it? Hey, it seems to me I sold a trunk like that about three weeks ago. Yeah, I, yeah, I remember. Now, I had a couple of keys made for it, and I sold it to a doll down in Greenwich Village. Let's see, uh, 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 yeah, Alice Chambers. I thought uh, you didn't remember names. Hey, mister, you see her, you'll remember her name, too. You uh, happen to know where she lives in the village? Uh, a rooming house, I think she said. Uh-huh, okay, thanks. Hey, wait, wait a minute. Hey, what's the matter? So you come in here asking about trunks. I give you a good price, two bucks, three mm. bucks with keys. And all you're fishing for is a doll's address. Hey, you know, this sort of thing does not help me further my career. <laughs> okay, career boy. Here's five bucks. Have a couple of trunks on me. Uh, with keys? Yeah. Yeah, here's another buck with keys. So I head for Greenwich Village. I know what I'm following is strictly a hunch, and I'm just hoping the hunch doesn't turn into a wild goose tear. Steve Mitchell, government agent, shagging around New York after a beat-up second-hand trunk yet. When I get to the village, the usual array of characters are floating around. A gent on the curb carving statues out of soap. A guy with hair down to his shoulders, sawing away at a fiddle, the works. I nose around, inquiring about Alice Chambers. Finally, I learn that her rooming house is just around the corner. I turn the corner. Then I spot a crowd in front of the doorway with a couple of cops pushing them back. On the edge of the crowd stands a tall, skinny gent wearing a long black beard and a long white toga. Excuse me, I'd like to get by. Ah, my friend, you disappoint me. Huh? As I watched you approach, I thought, here is a man of character. Surely he will not stoop to this. Yet, here you are, yielding to the same morbid curiosity which is the common denominator of the ignoramuses which our crass and materialistic culture spews forth upon our sidewalks in ever-increasing multitudes. Look, save the lecture, Professor. Ah, I, I... I do not remember making your acquaintance, yet you seem familiar with the title which my earnest but unfortunately too few students have bestowed upon me. Uh, just psychic, I guess. Hey, uh, what's going on, anyway? Uh, merely another unfortunate instance of man's inhumanity to man. Will you skip the double talk? Hey, does Alice Chambers live in this rooming house? A very profound question, my friend. What's so profound about it? A question which has occupied the minds of philosophers and theologians for centuries. Whither doth the soul take flight when the body... Soul? Body? Hey, wait a minute. What are you talking about? This Alice Chambers... What about her? It would appear that at some time during the course of the night, she was murdered. So all of a sudden, the trail's heating up fast. Now I know my hunch was right, that the trunk is pretty important. That means just one thing. A false bottom and in the secret compartment, the plans for the buzz bomb. I shove past the professor into the rooming house and check with the police. We give Alice Chambers' room a fast frisk, but no trunk. That puts me right back where I started from, which is nowhere. I turn to leave, but out in the hall, I spot the professor, Toga and all, heading for the next room. I catch up with him at the door. Ah, my friend of the morbid curiosity. Yeah, and speaking of same, I noticed you were right there in the crowd taking it all in, Professor. I, sir, am a spectator of life. You uh, live here next door to Alice Chambers' room, huh? As you see. It is an humble abode, but it serves me. After all, life is of the mind, not... Yeah, the... yeah, yeah. Look, uh, I'd like a little information. You have indeed come to the right man, my friend. Oh? Yes. To some, it is given to build things. To others, it is given to tear them down. 
but to me has been granted the highest function, that of spreading you a little... You couldn't have used a better word, Professor. Sir? Oh, skip it. Yes, yes. As I was saying, if I can but momentarily pierce the black cloud of ignorance with the pure light of knowledge, then I feel that this humble life shall not have been lived in vain. Then how about piercing my ignorance? If it were not for one thing, I would be delighted, sir. Oh, what do you mean? Well, I, <clears throat> unfortunately, suffer from a delicate condition of the throat. To impart information, I am required to speak at length. This has a tendency to uh, dry out the sensitive throat membranes, and thus I... I, I get it, I get it, okay. Is there a bar around here? Uh, strange that you should ask, because there does happen to be a delightful place but a few paces down the block, a haven where the weary traveler may find refuge and refreshment. Well, that's the fanciest description of a saloon I've ever heard, but come on, let's go. I'm afraid that is quite impossible at the moment, my friend. What? Now, look. Indeed, for me to stir from this very spot at the moment would be to defy various laws of physics. And, of course, there is the matter of modesty also. Modesty? Look, what are you talking about? Boil it down, will you? Uh, very well. To reduce it to the vernacular, you are standing on my toga. <laughs> So, this is the quiet haven for the weary traveler, huh? Is it not delightful? Professor, I've got to hand it to you. You've got a great imagination. Now, look, are your tonsils oiled up enough so you can tell me a few things? I shall strive bravely uh, between libations, of course. Uh, what would you like to know? Did Alice Chambers have a visitor last night? Uh, yes. What time? Shortly after dinner. Did you see him go into a room? In a manner of speaking, yes. You knew him? Quite well. Well, who was it? Myself. What? Uh, it was my custom to call on her to exchange a few pleasantries at the close of the day. Oh, great. Now, look, that's not what I mean. Did you see anybody else near her room? Uh, no. Uh, well, I guess that's that. Uh, of course, the rather questionable-looking ex-ophthalmic individual who asked me for directions to a room later in the evening might have been somebody who would... Well, wait a minute. Let's have that again. I was taking my usual evening stroll, a short ex-ophthalmic... Oh, reduce it to the vernacular, will you? Very well. His eyes protruded slightly. Oh. Could be the same button-eyed gent who slugged Freilich's cousin, Julius Sachs. Freilich? Julius Sachs? I'm afraid I've not had the pleasure of either of these. So Button Eyes was trying to find Alice Chambers. Looked like he found her all right and killed her. Well, that still doesn't help me much. He obviously got the trunk, so... Trunk? I... What trunk? Uh, it used to belong to a gent named Freilich. His cousin Julia sold it to a junk dealer who peddled it to Alice Chambers. And now five will get you ten. Button Eyes has it, and I'm too late. Oh, but I assure you, that is quite impossible. What do you mean? Well, it is a well-established law of physics that an object cannot be in two places at once. I still don't get you. How could your ex-ophthalmic friend have possession of the trunk when Alice Chambers sold it five days ago? Sold it? You know, Professor, trying to get information out of you is like riding the merry-go-round. I have to go three laps each time before I grab the brass ring. A colorful analogy. Who Dallas sell it to? A friend of hers, a dancer named Yvette. Ballet dancer? In a manner of speaking. You know where Yvette is? 
I do? Good. Give me her address. I'll run over and talk to her. Oh, but I fear that would be quite impossible. To run over and talk to Yvette would be to defy several laws of now, gravity. don't start that again. Where is Yvette? Uh, four days ago, she left for London. London? Oh, brother. This is really turning into an obstacle race. Okay, Professor, thanks. We finally made it. The pleasure was all mine, sir. It has been a most stimulating conversation. I hope that we may look forward to another one. Sure, sure. Sometime when I've got three hours to kill and I want to find out what day it is, I'll be around. I grab the next plane for London. When I arrive, I check the newspapers and finally find the name of the theater where Yvette is dancing. It's uh, in the seamy section of the city, and when I get inside, I realize why the professor said she was a ballet dancer in a manner of speaking. I slip around backstage while she's doing her dance and find her dressing room, but there's no trunk. So it looks like Button Eyes is still ahead of me. I turn to go out, then I see something hurtling through the air at me. A flat iron. I drop to one knee and it sails past me into the mirror. Hey. Hey, yourself. Ah, hello, Yvette. What is this, Grand Central Station? I'm sorry to barge into your dressing room like this, but Look, I... I'm getting a little tired of this routine. What? Twice already today there have been guys snooping around my room. Twice? Yeah. Wait, uh, was one of them a short guy with button eyes? I don't know. I didn't get a decent look at either of them. But if they're friends of yours, you tell them for me that I they're don't like it. They're not exactly friends of mine, Yvette. Here, you'd better take a look at my credentials. Oh, so you're a government agent, hmm? But I still don't see why you're snooping around my dressing room. I'm looking for the trunk Alice Chambers sold you back in the States last week. Oh, that. I lent it to Joe Feeney the night before last. Whoever he is. He's my boyfriend. He's with the Flying Feenies, um, acrobats. Oh, I see. Well, where are they acrobatting now? Denmark. Oh, brother. This trunk has really got legs. (laughs) Thanks. Um, Uh, But uh, what's with the trunk, anyway? Look. The junk dealer back in New York told me that he'd had two keys made for the trunk. Yeah, Alice gave me both of them when she sold me the trunk. You still got them? Sure, one of them. Uh, I gave the other one to Joe when I lent him the trunk. Well, I guess my next stop is the Flying Feenies in Denmark. Now, look, these two characters that you saw snooping around your dressing room earlier... Yeah? You think they would have any way of knowing that the trunk is in Denmark now? How could they if I don't even know them or know who they are? Well, it looks like I'm one jump ahead of button eyes for a change, but I still don't get who the other snooper could be. Well, I still don't get what's so hot about that trunk. I... Hold it. What's the matter? Quiet. What stopped me is a slight sound outside the dressing room. I ease over to the door and jerk it open. Then I spot a little guy scrambling away. There's enough light to tell me it's button eyes. I take after him. But he pops behind some of the flats backstage, and when I get there, he's gone. I scour the whole backstage area, but there's no sight of him. Finally, I give up, start heading back to Yvette's dressing room, and then suddenly I hear something swishing through the air. I look up. A sandbag is hurtling down at me. I dive to one side, but it hits me a glancing blow on the side of the head. Sends me down for the count. listening to Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell. Steve, Steve. Oh, Oh, Steve. What? Oh, is that? Steve, you're lucky. You want to bet? 
Oh, if that sandbag had hit you square. Uh, the way my head feels right now, it couldn't have made much difference, believe me. The guy you were chasing got away, hmm? Yeah, he's got a head start on me again. Oh. Incidentally, you mind telling me where you were when that sandbag dropped on me? Why, in my dressing room. You sure about that? Of course, I'm sure. Why? Oh, skip it. Brother, this head of mine will probably be throbbing louder than the engines on that plane. What plane? The one I'm taking to Denmark to talk to the flying feenies. <laughs> The Flying Feenies, this is an act. It is a catastrophe. No, their act doesn't stop the show. Look, all I know is that when I arrived here in Denmark, I learned that you'd booked them here at your theater, and I want to talk to them. You are wrong when you say their act does not stop the show, Mr. Mitchell. It stopped mine cold. With the Flying Feenies, I could not draw flies. I still want to talk to... Hey, wait a minute. Are you trying to say that they're not here anymore? They lasted just one performance. Then I gave them, as you say, the hammer. Oh, great. So now I'm on the merry-go-round again. You wouldn't happen to know where they're playing now. Such an act as this, you would not peddle to your worst enemy. So? So I peddle them to my worst enemy. Who? Max Gruber. He runs a traveling carnival. I have never forgotten the so-called talking dog he booked here once. Where is his carnival now? Somewhere in Holland, I think, if the Flying Feenies haven't put him out of business yet. So I hopped down to Holland. So far, this deal's been strictly a six-day bicycle race with Button Eyes always one lap ahead of me. Now, I've got somebody else to worry about, the other guy that Yvette said was snooping around in her dressing room in London. I start checking in Holland for the Feenies, and at this point, it wouldn't surprise me to see him swinging on the nearest windmill. Well, four hours later, I locate the traveling carnival in Rotterdam. I find their tent, and I go inside, and there at last are the flying Feenies in front of me, racked up in a pyramid, practicing their act. Hi. Quite a pyramid. Which one of you is Joe Feeney? I am. Here on the bottom. I, hey, Henry, that's my backbone. So what do you want from me? Well, so get up on my shoulder a little. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. What can I do for you? Well, my name's Mitchell, a government agent from the States. Where's that trunk you borrowed from Yvette in London? I don't see it around this tent anywhere. It's over at the hotel room, the Vorling. Have you got a key to the trunk? Sure, right here in my pocket. Yeah, I'll get it. Hey, right. Joe, I'm leaving. Yeah, hey, hey, oh! oh. I'm sorry, gentlemen. I step over the sprawling Feenies and head to their hotel room in town. The room is dark. I start to search for the light switch, but before I can make it, something awfully hard connects over my left ear. And for the second time in 24 hours, I take a dive. Oh. Uh, how about this character? He wants to come over the room to look at the trunk, so I let him, and what happens? Well, I will. Oh, Joe Feeney. I thought there was something fishy about him in London, Joe. Hey, Yvette. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing here in Holland? I decided to come over and uh, soup up the act a little. Pretty convenient time for you to arrive. Oh, what do you mean? This is the second time I've gotten conked on the head, and both times when I come out of it, there's little Yvette. Hey, look, don't change the subject, buddy. If you got any private little murders to commit, that's your business. But I don't like you using my room for them. Murders? What are you talking about? For instance, that corpse over there in the corner. Huh? Hey, wait. So, I finally caught up with button eyes. And from the looks of that knife in his back, I'd say I was about four inches too late. Like I say, buddy, if you had it in for the guy, well and good. But... Just hold it a minute, buddy. I don't see that trunk in this room anywhere. I should be in the closet. Hmm. Yeah, here it is, all right. 
But I'm too late again. The trunk's open and empty, including the false bottom. False bottom? What are you talking about? I'd surprise you, Yvette. Why shouldn't it? Hey, look, I don't know what this is all about. Joe, did you keep this trunk locked? Why, yeah. What's the matter? If the lock on this trunk had been picked, there'd probably be a few small scratches on the metal around it. So? So there aren't any scratches. That means the trunk was probably opened with a key. What are you getting at? I'll start from the beginning, Yvette. Button Eyes was after the trunk right from the start. He knew what was in that false bottom. But it's beginning to look right now like somebody else has dealt himself or herself into the deal along the way. Look. Somebody who figured that whatever was in the trunk must be pretty valuable. I still don't see what that's got to do with the keys. I'm coming to that, Feeney. This trunk originally belonged to a gent named Freilich. His cousin, Julius Sachs, lost the key in New York, so he sold the trunk to a junk dealer who had two more keys made. Alice Chambers gave you both keys when she sold you the trunk, Yvette. Sure she did, but... Joe here gave me one of the keys a little while ago. But you've still got the other key. And that sort of puts the finger on now, you. Now, wait a minute. Now, look, buddy. Yvette couldn't have killed this guy. She was with me when we discovered you here on the floor just now. Well, the two of you could be working together. You know, you're talking like you've got a hole in your head. I told you there was a second guy snooping around my dressing room in London. He's probably the one you're after. Yeah, you sure there was a second guy? Yeah. Or did you dream up that story for a good cover? Now, look. I heard in London that Joe and his act weren't doing so hot. So I came over here to join him, figuring maybe I could help. As soon as my plane landed, I came right here to the hotel. Then I ran into Joe in the lobby just as he was coming upstairs to the room. So... Even if I knew what this is all about, I couldn't have had time to knife that guy and take whatever was in the bottom of that trunk. Okay, Vet, maybe you're telling me the truth and maybe you're lying. Right now, I'm going to find out which. I pick up the phone and check with the airport and the desk clerk downstairs, and my case against Yvette falls right on its face. She didn't get to the hotel until after I'd gotten hit over the head, and the same holds true for Joe Feeney, too. So now I'm fresh out of Leeds. Then a wild idea hits me. I start thinking of a character back in New York. I put through a call to the commissioner back in the States and tell him what I want him to check. A half hour later, he calls me back. And what he says doesn't surprise me. Looks like you had the right hunch, Steve. We found out that he left for Europe right after you did. Looks like he's been on your tail all the way. Yeah, he finally caught up with me and Button Eyes here in the hotel room. You think he's got the buzz bomb plans now, Steve? Five will get you ten, he has. Any idea where he is? Probably waiting for the next plane out of here. See you later, Commissioner. Joe, you got a car outside? Yeah. Warm it up. I'm going to call the airport to check on some departing planes. Are you going somewhere? No, and I want to make sure that somebody else isn't either. There's a plane over there getting ready to take off. Yeah, that's probably the one I'm after. Thanks for the lift, Joe. Eh, passenger's still getting on. I Looking for me, Mitchell? What? Ah, hello, Julius. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was. I thought you might be, so it seemed better for me to find you. I feel much safer with my gun in your bag. Needless to say, you've got those buzz bomb plans in your satchel there. But of course, come on. Where to? On the corner of the building. Okay. Sure all figures, Julius. You didn't realize your cousin's trunk was so valuable until Button Eyes beat you up trying to find out where it was. Then you decided to follow it up yourself. You caught up with Button Eyes in the hotel room and killed him? And I'm quite certain these plans I took from the trunk can be sold to interested parties at a uh, very fat price. Here, this is far enough, Mitchell. 
When the shadows now, and with the noise of the airplane engines, I doubt that one small shot from this automatic would even be heard. It was a key that pegged you, Julius. If that had one, I had the other. Then I remembered you telling me that you'd lost the original key. By that time, I had also realized the trunk must be of considerable value, Mitchell. You should uh, hardly expect me to reveal that I still have another key. Would you? Hardly, Julius. Mitchell, my plane is taking off momentarily. Now I regret that I must terminate our little conversation right now. His gun jams harder against my back, and I know that he's going to pull the trigger any second now. Then I remember what he said a minute ago. The gun is an automatic. That gives me an idea, a real long shot, but my only chance. Suddenly I throw my weight backward, driving him against the wall. Behind him, the gun is wedged between my back and his chest. I strain backward, keeping the pressure on the muzzle with my back. An automatic won't fire when the slide is pushed back. Get right? away from me, Mitchell! Sheriff tries to shove me forward, but I brace myself. I know that the instant the pressure is taken off the gun, it'll fire. I start sweating. I can't keep the pressure on much longer. My feet are slipping on the concrete. Suddenly, I raise one of them and let him have a heel in the shin. He relaxes his hold on the gun for an instant, just long enough. I bend over, reach back between my legs, grab his foot, and yank it forward. The slot whistles over my back, and Julius' head plunks back into the wall. Oh! I'll take the gun now, Julius. Oh, Hand my... the satchel. My head. Yeah, I guess that wall must be pretty hard, oh. all right, but you've got no kicks coming. Uh, what do you mean? After all, you had me bucking a stone wall oh. all the way in this deal. I'm just returning the compliment the hard way. Dangerous Assignment, starring Brian Donlevy as Steve Mitchell, is written by Bob Reif and Adrian Jondo, with music by Robert Armbruster, and is produced and directed by Bill Karn. Be with us again next week at this same time, when Brian Donlevy, starring in the role of Steve Mitchell, will embark on another Dangerous Assignment. Your assignment came to you from Hollywood. For more mysteries, stay tuned for The Man Called X on NBC. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of Golden Age Radio, when radio was king. Make sure to check out our other radio show, 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.